Good evening. I apologize for the quality of my voice. <clears throat> Sounds worse than I thought. Sounds bad to me. I hope I can get through this lesson. And I apologize for the quality, but I've um, been dealing with some sinus issues and it's gone south. So we'll do the best we can. We are looking tonight at Acts chapters 10 and 11. Acts chapters 10 and 11 as we highlight the gospel being offered to the Gentiles. And before I proceed tonight, and you're probably thinking before you proceed, you probably need to just shut it down now. But uh, before I do proceed onward, I want to say if you're visiting, thank you for being here. We appreciate so much you coming our way. We are grateful to have visitors each and every week. We've been so blessed by so many people coming our way each and every week. Many have stayed, and for that we're grateful. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to please give consideration to the work here at Olive Branch. We would love to have you come and be a part of our church family. Tonight, as we look at Acts chapters 10 and 11, <clears throat> let me just very quickly give you some background information. You remember back in the book of Acts in chapter 1, the Lord Jesus said before ascending to heaven that the apostles would be endowed with the Holy Spirit and they would be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then He said to the uttermost part of the earth. This morning in our study we talked about Jonah and Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh, Nineveh being the capital of Assyria. And you remember the Assyrians carried the children of God into captivity in about 722, 721 B.C. Many of those Jews who were taken into captivity would later marry Gentiles, that is, those who lived in Assyria. And so out of that you have the Samaritan race of people. The Samaritans were viewed by the Jews as half-breeds. And so you recall back in John chapter, excuse me, John chapter 4, when Jesus had the opportunity to speak to the woman at Jacob's well, it was incredulous that he talked to a woman, but then more so than that, that he spoke to a Samaritan woman. Because John said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So we come to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus is now telling the apostles that they will be His witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, but also in Samaria and then to the uttermost part of the earth. Bear in mind that Jesus, in giving the Great Commission, said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What you have to understand is God has always been interested in the Gentiles. That was evident, as we noted this morning, in sending Jonah to the Ninevite people. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 2, you remember Isaiah talked about the church he viewed it as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. 
He further pointed out that the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. When Isaiah said, talking about the church, that all nations would flow into it, that ties into what Jesus said in giving the Great Commission. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. So God's intent was to bring all people under one roof, that is, under the banner of Christ. So you pick up, for example, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3. And you remember the Apostle Paul said he received revelation from God. He took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. All right, Paul, what then was the mystery that had formerly been concealed but now revealed? Well, that mystery was revealed to his holy prophets and apostles, or the holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles might be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That was God's intent. So you backtrack and look at Ephesians 2.16. And there the apostle Paul said that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. The cross then is the means whereby God was able to bring all nations together, wasn't it? So tonight, as we look at Acts chapters 10 and 11, you remember back last week we looked at Acts chapter 8 when the gospel went down to the city of Samaria. The Bible says that those who had been scattered abroad as a result of persecution, they went everywhere preaching the word. We find the results of that in chapter 11. Philip, however, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Word trickled back to the brethren in Jerusalem. And you remember Peter and John went to Samaria. It was there that they laid hands on those people and they received a miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. So now we come to Acts chapter 10. It's going to take something incredulous on God's part to signify to the Jewish people that His intent is for the Gentiles to be a part of the body of Christ. Again, you think about how the Jews looked unfavorably upon the Gentile people. They viewed them as dogs, as unclean. And so we have in Acts chapter 10, first and foremost, I want to call attention to the men. First, you have Cornelius. Cornelius was a religious man. Matter of fact, he was a virtuous man by way of vocation. The Bible tells us that he lived in Caesarea. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment or Cohort. Now, historically speaking, a Roman legion consisted of about 6,000 troops. Those legions were divided into 10 troops. A Roman cohort would have responsibility for over 400 men. Cornelius is a very valuable man in Rome. Not just a valuable man, but he is a man of great responsibility. And so the Bible says in verse 2 with regard to his virtues, he was devout. He was one who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always. Now listen, you talk about somebody who was morally upright, somebody that we would deem a good man. 
Cornelius would have been that man, wouldn't he? And yet Cornelius had the same need as all people today. What is that need? The need was for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He needed the cleansing power of the blood of Christ availing in his life. And so in verse 3, the Bible tells us that about the ninth hour of the day, in other words, at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Cornelius, the text says, was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. And then instructions are given to send men to Joppa, of which Cornelius did. He drafted a soldier and two of his household servants and sent them on his behalf to contact a man by the name of Simon, whose surname, as you well know, was Peter. And he said in verse 6, he's lodging with Simon, a tanner. And so, the next day, these men, have made, they're making their way to Peter. And now note, if you will, we're confronted with the second man. That would be Peter. Peter is a Jew. Peter is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a great preacher of the gospel. Peter had the opportunity to spend three years with the Lord Jesus Christ, learning from the master teacher. And so, in verse 9, the Bible says that Peter has gone up on his housetop to pray. Then he becomes hungry. He wants to eat. And the Bible says he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. And you've got to imagine, here is the Apostle Peter. He is, by all accounts, a diehard Jew. He has been observant of the law of Moses, and that would include those dietary restrictions. And so the Bible says, in that great sheet were all kinds of four-footed beasts and animals of the earth, creeping things and birds of the air. And then this voice comes and says to Peter, rise and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. The voice says to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now think about it. Three times this voice says to Peter, rise and eat what God's cleansed, you're not to call common. Peter is perplexed. He's wondering, okay, what does this all mean? What's the import of this vision? And as he's turning this over or mulling it over in his mind, the Bible tells us that the three men that had been sent by Cornelius arrive at his home. The Bible says in verse 19 that while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. What reason have you come? And then they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Now let me just make a very quick observation here. There is a principle laid down here in chapter 10 that I think is very important for us to consider. And that is, God uses human instruments to reach people. God didn't use an angel. 
He doesn't use the Holy Spirit to speak to people separate and apart from His Word, does He? But rather He uses human instruments and then He uses intelligible words. Peter's going to tell them words whereby he and all his household might be saved, which tells us that the instrument by which people are saved is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So having said that, Peter invites them in. The very next day, the text says, they make their way to Caesarea. Now Joppa is south of Caesarea. Joppa is a city that's on the coast, as is Caesarea. So they travel north to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius. And listen to what is said in verse 24. The following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Here is a man that reached out to family members and friends. He wanted them to be present when Peter came says to me that he was interested in what Peter had to say, so much so that he thought others could benefit from this divine message. And so the Bible says that when Peter came in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now I know that there are some who have the idea that Peter was the first pope and that the church was built upon the apostle Peter. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe the scripture teaches that. The church was built upon the good confession made by Peter that Jesus was and is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. That was the good confession upon which, that bedrock statement upon which the church was built. And so here's what Peter said, stand up, why? I myself also am a man. Was Peter an apostle? Yes. Was he an evangelist? Absolutely. Had he been in the presence of Jesus for three years? Yes, yes, yes. But he was still just a man. And we can see his fallibility time and again, can't we? So having said that, the Bible says that as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But, here it is, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. This was a tremendous concession on the part of Peter. Why? Because as a Jew, how did they feel about the Gentiles? They looked down upon them, didn't they? They thought of them as second-rate citizens. We talked about the gospel going to Samaria. Same deal. And so, Cornelius then rehearses the events that led to the apostle Peter coming to his home. And so in verse 33, I love verse 33. Listen to what is said. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now listen to this. Cornelius said, Now therefore we are all present before God to hear from you all the things commanded you by God. Cornelius understood that God had a divine message and that he needed to hear that message. 
So much so that he called his friends and relatives together, and now they are together in the very presence of God. And they are there for the purpose of hearing what this man of God had to say. So now we have the message. And listen to what Peter says. Note how he begins his message. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now again, what a concession. As you think about the prejudices that had been demonstrated toward the Gentile world and toward the Samaritans, and now for the Apostle Peter to say to Cornelius that he has now come to the conclusion that God is no respecter of persons. That's true today, isn't it? God loves everyone equally. There are no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom of God. There is no such thing as, well, when we talk about prejudices, doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what gender you are, how old you are, your economic standing, your educational background. None of that matters, does it? The gospel's for all. Now, listen to the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the saints in Galatia. And by the way, Paul rebuked the Apostle Peter to his face because of his Jewish leanings in chapter 2. But in chapter 3, Paul said, You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's in that spiritual context that Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Now listen to what he said. For you are all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now go back to that promise in Genesis chapter 12 when God called Abraham to become the father of the Hebrew nation. And God said to Abraham in the long ago in verse 3, in you, that is, through your seed, through your posterity, all nations of the earth will be blessed. That promise was realized in Christ, and that promise was extended to both Jews and Gentiles, wasn't it? Even though the Jews had difficulty understanding and accepting that great fact. The design of the gospel was for all people to be saved. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul writes there, he said, You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That means in Christ, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, you're on equal footing. You're one in Christ. And that's the message today. Now, having said that, Peter said, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. All right? In order to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of God, there are things that we must comply with. There are terms of admission in order to appropriate these blessings. So then the Apostle Peter talks about the Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Verse 38, the Bible says, God was with him. And Peter said, we are all witnesses of these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. 
In verse 40, he said, Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly. You remember Luke in Acts chapter 1 said that Jesus presented Himself alive by many infallible proofs over the space of 40 days. The apostles were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. And Christianity stands upon the foundation that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul said he was declared to be the Son of God with power by that very fact. And so he said, Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. And He commanded us, listen to this, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is He who was ordained by God to judge, to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets witness that through His name, whoever believes in Him would receive or will receive remission of sins. Now as Peter goes over or rehearses these events with his Jewish counterparts as recorded by Luke in chapter 11, we have a more chronological order of the sequence of things. And in verse 44, Luke said, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard. So now we have a miracle. The Holy Spirit descends on those who had assembled there in the household of Cornelius. That is, the Holy Spirit rested upon those Gentiles. Well, when did this occur? Back up and note if you would. Verse 15, chapter 11. In verse 15, Luke records, Peter is saying, As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Verse 44, the Holy Spirit falls upon those who heard the word. And the text says in verse 45, Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now drop down look at chapter 11, verse 17 very quickly. We'll look at verse 16. Peter said that he remembered the word of the Lord, where Jesus said, John indeed baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We talk about Holy Spirit baptism. And typically we all, we've often said, or we've always said, there are only two instances in Scripture of this occurring. First, Pentecost Day. The Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It only fell on the apostles. So when the Holy Spirit descended or fell upon the Gentiles, it reminded of Peter of what occurred back on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem. And Peter said, note if you would, Peter said, if therefore God gave them the same gift, some translations may say the like gift, the only, the only thing that they received miraculously on this occasion was speaking in tongues. They didn't receive the same measure of gifts that the apostles did. But rather, it was a like gift, all right? Why then did God 
Why did God miraculously endow these people with the ability to speak in tongues? Well, the reason is to signify to Peter and the other apostles and to the Jews at large that the gospel had now gone beyond Jerusalem, Judea, but now it's being accepted in Samaria and by, by the Gentile people. In other words, God has seen fit to put them on equal ground. So look, if you would, in verse 17 of chapter 11. If therefore God gave them, them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So there it is right there. Now let me give you a commentary on this very quickly. Over in chapter 15, you remember there were Judaizing teachers, and they were saying that circumcision was an appendage to Christianity. They were saying, unless you're circumcised, verse 1, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, we don't have time to go into all that, but the fact of the matter is, that was not the case. But in verse 7, Peter said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God made a choice among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles, listen to him, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us, all right? What then was the divine purpose of the Holy Spirit being given to the Gentiles and it being demonstrated by them speaking in tongues or in intelligible languages? Here it is. Look at verse 9. God made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. That's it right there. What Peter is saying is, this was signifying to us that there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles and that they, can, that they are amenable to the same law and they can appropriate the same benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. All right, having said that, go back and look at chapter 10 again. In chapter 10, verse 46, the Bible says, speaking of those who were present, Listen to what the text says. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, all right? We have said that tongues were not some ecstatic utterance, as people claim today, but rather it was an intelligible language. On Pentecost Day, the question was asked by those in the crowd of people on Pentecost, how is it that we hear every man speak in our own language or dialect? It was an intelligible language. And so, listen now to verse 47 and 48. Here's the mandate. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked Him to stay a few days with them. When then were Cornelius and those in his household, when were they saved? They weren't saved until they obeyed the gospel of Christ. Well, what did that entail? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance from sin, confession of His name, and then baptism. I want you to look at some key words here. Back up and look at verse 43. In verse 43, 
Peter said, whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. Belief here is a, is a term that is a synecdoche. It is a part for the whole. And then drop down, he talks about being baptized in the name of the Lord. Look over in chapter 11, verse 18. God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Again, pointing to the gospel system that saves. Then over in Acts chapter 15, as we read a moment ago in 15 verse 9, God made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Not faith only, but by an obedient faith to the gospel of Christ. And so in chapter 11, very quickly, I know our time's almost gone. Well, before I move on, let me say this. Peter then commands them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now they received a baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it was originated by God in heaven. Manifested in their ability to speak in unknown tongues. In other words, in tongues previously unlearned by them. This signifying to Peter and the other Jews that God is accepting the Gentiles, that they're on the same plane, that the gospel is indeed for them. In order for people to be saved, in order for these people to be saved, they had to do exactly what they did on Pentecost Day. The terms of admission did not change. And when they obeyed the gospel, God then put them in the church. So in chapter 11, word gets back. Listen to what Luke said, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Why? Because, again, they're prejudiced toward the Gentiles. And they said, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so Peter then rehearses and explains the circumstances involving Cornelius and his household. And their response was, okay, we get it, we understand. The gospel that was preached to Cornelius, same gospel preached to the Samaritans, same gospel preached to those in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day. Those who obeyed the gospel became members of the same church. They became a part of the body of Christ. Tongues had their place in the first century. And yet Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that tongues will cease. The miraculous had its place in the first century. But now that we have completed revelation, we no longer need the miraculous. Miracles confirm the word. That's what Jesus said. Matter of fact, that's what Mark said in chapter 16, verses 15 through 20. And so the Gentiles are now on equal footing. And so you think about, here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And let's just say that you had been a Gentile and you didn't enjoy all the blessings and privileges that came with being a Jew and a part of Abraham's descent. And the Apostle Paul talks about how they were without hope and without God in this world. But now you learn about Jesus and you learn that Jesus has paid the price for all sins and that through His blood, you can be whole in His eyes, that your sins can be purified or washed away, and that you can be a part of His church, of His family. And so listen, if you would, to what, again, what Paul said. 
and put yourself in the shoes of the Gentiles. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What a beautiful thought. 750 years before Jesus came to earth, Isaiah in the long ago said, look, all nations are going to flow into the church. So what do we have in the book of Acts? The establishment of the Lord's church in chapter 2. You have the inauguration of the church and then the infancy and growth of the church. And the gospel incrementally is moving beyond Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria. And now in chapters 10 and 11, we have Cornelius and his household being saved, signifying to the Jews once and for all, the gospel includes everybody. Tonight it might be that you're here and you're not a Christian. You've never obeyed the gospel. Same God that saved Cornelius and his household will save you. And as Peter said, he was to bring them words whereby they might be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are instructed to walk by faith and not by sight. So if you're here tonight, you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you have never named Him as the Lord of your life, you need to do that. You need to recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that He is desirous of your salvation, that God in heaven gave His most prized possession, His only begotten Son, for your sins, and that through obedience to the gospel of Christ, you can become a part of His divine family. All you got to do is be born again. When you're baptized into Christ as they did on Pentecost, you enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of sins. God then puts you in the church. And the exhortation to you, to all, is be faithful until death. Tonight, if you're here and you've, for whatever reason, gone back into the world, and you're not living like a Christian, you're not acting like a Christian, you're not thinking like a Christian, could we encourage you to come home? I know that sometimes when we give the invitation, it might be that some folks in their heart of hearts think, you know, here we go again. Listen, every time we come together is an opportunity for the gospel to be shared, for people to be saved. Some have never obeyed the gospel. Some are not faithful, and they need to respond. So what better time to offer that invitation? So we do that tonight. If we can pray with you and for you, please know God will abundantly pardon us. We stand and sing.
This time is set aside for those that were unable to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. So if you do not have the fruit of the vine or the bread, the unleavened bread, we invite you to raise your hands and you will be served. Somebody will bring it to you. I think we got it. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Our loving Father in heaven, we come before you once again this Lord's Day as we remember the sacrifice of Christ. We're so thankful that he was willing to give his body on our behalf. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's pray for the cup. Our loving Father in heaven, once again we come before you and we thank you for this fruit of the vine. Representing the blood of Christ, which is far superior to anything that we understand. Knowing that the cleansing that comes through this blood can make us pure and whole. Once again, and as we remember the sacrifice, as Jesus spilled his blood on our behalf, help us to help us to focus on him. Help, help us to recognize the great gift that was given for us and help us to strive to live in a way so that the world knows that we understand how great our Savior is. Please bless us at this time as those who partake of the fruit of the vine. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're about to complete what we have for Sunday worship, but you're hearing what I'm hearing, no need to get in any hurry to get out of there unless you need a bath, you know. I want to also bring, uh, what was the, the note was, remember that for this directory, this is not an update that we're doing of the directory. This is a totally new directory. So it's not like we can take your picture out of the old one and bring it over into the new one. So everybody needs to get signed up and get your picture in the directory so that we'll have the opportunity to look at you and see your picture. In just a few minutes, we'll have our closing song and our closing prayer, but want to remember the things that we have coming up this week. Remember those that are in need of our help and in need of our prayers continually. See what we can do to help them. We look forward to being back here Tuesday for everybody that has the opportunity. Be here Tuesday, 10 o'clock in the morning. We'll have a Spirit of study and fellowship together. Be back here Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. for another period of study. Look forward to seeing you then. As Brother Dio mentioned just a second ago, we've uh, got a lot of rain outside, and I felt like this song was pretty fitting. So uh, let's all stand and sing number 587. Sing and be happy. 587. <laughs> if the sky's Yeah. 
our Heavenly Father and Almighty God. We come to thee this day thanking thee 